Oh man, this just keeps getting weirder, doesn't it? Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. I'm Tim Ryder from the Apple, and yeah, this is uh, this is something else. Uh, the Mets swept a doubleheader from the Rockies at City Field on Thursday, riding another outstanding start from Marcus Stroman, a handful of terrific defensive plays around the diamond, a close win in Game 1, the bench mob struck again, and the bullpen did too, in, uh, in Game 2, and it was a good day. It was a very good Thursday. It was a decent week, all things considered. Um, well, you know, all things considered is, is a big, it's actually a, a heavy phrase in that, in this case, uh, the Mets were dealt another major blow on the health front on Thursday, uh, lost Janeshri Vargas to the IL, uh, with a, um, uh, AC joint sprain from running into the wall too. But, uh, Mets manager, Louis Rojas announced that Noah Syndergaard will be shutting all baseball activity down for the next six weeks after experiencing soreness in his surgically repaired right elbow during his rehab start in Port St. Lucie on Tuesday. Uh, an MRI revealed no structural damage, but the right-hander is uh, hes not expected to come back until at the very least August. Uh, Ro has, Rojas said, and I quote here, uh, they're praying he pitches this season, and that's just a, a gut punch all the way. Um with Carlos Carrasco uh, still working his way back from a torn hamstring, Taiwan, Walk, uh, Taiwan Walker excuse me, is uh, only approaching his return now. I think he could be starting Friday's series opener uh, at home versus Atlanta. That's still to be announced. Um, Louis Rojas said that ahead of Game 1. I'm recording this after Game 2. Uh, you know, the Mets are going to continue to lean on their their second string back half of the rotation as opposed to the, the five-headed monster that everyone had in mind uh, come June. Um, it's it's a blow. You know, the situation keeps evolving, but, um, you know, it, it hasn't really slowed things down. And slowly but surely, you're going to get guys back. And, you know, it's Seth Lugo. He, he's expected back from the IL at some point over the next week or so. You know, some of the discourse on Twitter on Thursday was regarding his usage upon his return. And, you know, Lugo's unquestionably, unquestionably, oh, I can't talk today. I've been more effective throughout his career as a reliever. I'm not even going to pull up the stats. I've written this article like a dozen times. It's a landslide. He's just better as a relief pitcher. That said, under these circumstances, especially if Carrasco's easing back into things and he's already had a let's not call it a setback. <laughs> uh, that's pretty much the Mets motto this year. We're not going to call it a setback, but it, under these circumstances, I, I'd give Lugo a look at the very least as like a, a long man piggyback type of guy, um, almost in the same vein as Joey Lucchese or Sean Reed Foley or even Robert Gazelman, who, uh, you know, they've used him in that situation when, when necessary. Um, you know, it adds versatile depth, which is <laughs> pretty much all this team is running on these days. You know, if Lugo can eat three innings at a time, that's a very good thing. Um, if he can swing four or five, even better, but let's not chance it. You know, there doesn't have to be a tag on every single guy that the Mets run out there. The Mets have starting pitchers. The Mets have relief pitchers. They even have guys that can pitch in certain spots or in specific situations. They make it work, and that's pretty much where they're at right now, just making it work. And for, you know, for all intents and purposes, they're, they're, they're doing it. That's the crazy thing. They're actually pulling it off. Um, you know, after losing three in a row, Jacob DeGrom returned on Tuesday from his lower 
side back tightness. Struck out nine Rockies over five innings. He needed just 63 pitches to do it. Uh, safe to say he's back. I think his ERA actually increased to a 0.80 on the year. Uh, and he still leads the league by almost like half a run. I think Carlos Rodon is at like 1.3 or 1.29 or something like that. So, you know, just as Jake does, he gets things moving again. But again, that was the same night that we got the news on Syndergaard. And, you know, it's we've said it so many times on the show already. It's one step forward, one step back. Um, expecting to see or expecting to have Syndergaard back over the next month or so, that was huge, especially with the reports that have been coming out of uh, his rehab. You know, he's hitting 98, he's feeling good. And then during his uh, his rehab start on Tuesday, he went from throwing 96, 97 to 89, 90, and uh, he was out of the game at the end of the inning. And, you know, we all know what that means. And the Mets downplayed it, of course. And, uh, of course, you know, a couple of days later, we get the news. And this is nothing new. But it, now it's kind of how it's how does the team react, which we're going to get to in a little bit. But um, Jacob deGrom came back and he, you know, the news came out before the game. I think by the end of the game, or at least, you know, it wasn't, at least for me personally, it wasn't uh, totally forgotten, but it was at the back of my mind. Um, of course, that all came rushing back once you, oh yeah, that's right, Noah. Anyway, so, you know, he got things back on track. So after Wednesday's rain out, and those were some awesome thunderstorms that passed through our uh, our area, by the way. It was great. Um, you know, Marcus Stroman and Joey Lucchese were tabbed to kind of move things along and, and did so more than effectively. Stroman in particular on Thursday. It's funny. He just like toys with guys, doesn't he? Uh, I think he got 10 ground outs, uh, ground ball outs in the, in the win. Um, he came into the game with the fourth best ground ball rate in the, in the majors, 53.6%. You know, we've talked about it here in the past plenty. Um, very high on Marcus Stroman here. Uh, I said it in February. I don't know if you guys were listening. I said it on Twitter, too. Um, he was my pick as a dark horse Cy Young candidate. Of course, you know, Jacob deGrom is the, the clubhouse leader, and I was asked for a hot take. That was my hot take. But, uh, you know, he doesn't just – you see, I, I think we've had this conversation here. We've talked a little bit about Stroman – just pitching to contact. He's not going after strikeouts. He's pitching to contact. And the best part is that he's actively pursuing soft contact. Uh, during Ryan McMahon's at bat uh, during the sixth on Thursday, and Ryan McMahon had an awesome series for the Rockies. Um, if he's one of those guys that's pryable, which is very, very doubtful, man, he's versatile. He plays like three defensive positions, first, second, and third. Uh, just a terrific, terrific ball player. Um, so he singled off of Stroman in the first. One of the few guys to make solid or even get base hits off of uh, Stroman's split change. So, rest of the game, uh, Stroman, I think he threw him one more split change the entire game. Um, you know, he's always, it's chess, not checkers with Marcus Stroman. We know this. So, during Ryan McMahon's, I think he was leading off the sixth. Stroman went upstairs with a two-strike cutter. And, like, if you look at McMahon's heat zones on StatCast. One of his highest average exit velocity zones is middle high. Um, so middle of the strike zone, high in the strike zone. Stroman, he threw a cutter that almost, it almost teased McMahon. It, here, I, I got it here. So 
likely knowing that he could draw McMahon, um, he could, you know, at least get him to, to, to commit to something close to that target area for, for him as a hitter. You know, he got his cutter to just kind of dance just, just north of that zone. Um, and, and it was a, a swing and miss. And, you know, that's the type of approach that one hitters aren't used to. They're used to guys blowing shit past him. And Marcus Stroman does not take that approach because he doesn't throw, you know, 99 miles an hour. Um, he takes a more subtle approach and he has the arsenal to back it up. And he has, God, the pitch shapes and the sequences and, and, and the memory like a fucking elephant. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've been, you know, I'm trying not to curse so much, but, um, it, it is what it is. I get into it. Um, just to remember what he gave guys last time and what they hit him. You know, I'm sure this is probably commonplace for a major league pitcher or for, for any major leaguer just to, you know, have these mental notes or just keep track of these things. But boy, you know, just digging through them. And if I went through the examples, we'd be here for, for a couple of hours. But, you know, looking at some of the guys that he's faced more than once with the Mets, or I should say, of course, more than once, but, you know, let's say 30 at-bats or 30 plate appearances. Oh, the sequences that he throws at these guys. There's someone on the Braves. I want to say it was Marcakis. He saw Marcakis twice in 2019. And Marcakis, I want to say, hit him kind of hard once early. Then later in the season, the last game of the season, or second to last game of the season, whatever he started, just completely changed his approach and he baffled him. Just, I know it's one small example and I got way off track, but it, it is what it is. Um, so he got McMahon. It was a really big strikeout, and that's kind of what Marcus Stroman does. He's not just firing away out there. He has intent behind every pitch. Um, you know, he's out there fielding his position. He's go ahead, bunt on him because he's going to get you out. Go ahead, try to you know try to attack, and he's going to trick you because you're going to see what you think is a sinker or a cutter coming at you because he replicates his spin. We talked about this with Lucchese last week, but. Strowman does the same thing, and if you caught the SNY game, uh, the SNY broadcast on Thursday, after Lucchese came out, Strowman's right there, and you can read his lips. He's telling him to breathe. You can see him breathing with him, He's telling him to relax. Like that's the leadership. These are this is the this is the whole package that Strowman brings, and you really have to consider um, after the you know almost let's say third of a season maybe that he's put up so far. Um, you really have to consider approaching him about an extension. I know I would. Um, I wouldn't blame him if he wants to test the market. Um, he's certainly <laughs> going above and beyond to set himself up for a very nice payday. But boy, um, if I'm the Mets, you know, this is the quintessential number two who's just consistent and goes out there and he doesn't walk guys and he's confident. And that confidence just exudes through the clubhouse. It's just, um, you know, if I had to build a pitching staff, um, if I'm, you know, if I'm a general manager and I have to build a pitching staff and I, I have one guy to pick who, you know, you, have, you can go spend money on a guy, but he's not going to, it's not a, you know, a Bauer contract. It would be a Marcus Stroman and I'd give him whatever that B-level contract, not even a B-level, it's like a 1A or a 1B, like just crazy. I, I'd back up the truck for him, but that's just me. So... In the second game, as we were just saying, Lucchese went out. He did well. Um, I guess it was 3.2, one earned run uh, after he exited. And the Mets, you know, they scored just enough again. I think Jose Peraza's home run stood, and stood up in the first game. It was one nothing. He had two RBIs in the second game, and that's pretty huge. That's what all of these guys have been doing. 
Uh, Billy McKinney acquired from Milwaukee earlier in the week. He's making an impact. I uh, made a couple of really great catches uh, throughout the day on Thursday. Uh, added a double, his first hit with the Mets in Game Two. Yeah, it's kind of been this team's mo. You know, just next man up. I know it's it's a cliche now, but shit, I've been saying that since <laughs> you know since guys started dropping like flies. And you know, it's just it's the mentality you have to take. But we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from our sponsors. We're going to talk about all of that. We're going to talk about how these. This team is pulling it off right now, what they've got to do to keep it going, and uh, I guess what's on the horizon as far as what what, what can we expect. But again, a little bit of tangents. Hang tight. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Football is back, and the best bet you can make is downloading the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It doesn't matter if you're new to gambling or an old pro, FanDuel has something for everyone. And as an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you know your bets are safe. There's also never been a better time to use FanDuel. Because right now, you'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. You can even turn a small wager into a big payday with a same-game parlay bet. Just sign up with the promo code SPOTIFY to place your first bet risk-free on FanDuel Sportsbook. Download FanDuel today. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. The Fall Line is a true crime podcast covering the coldest cases in the southeastern United States and occasionally beyond. We focus on the missing persons, the unsolved murders, and the unidentified does that don't get media attention. Empathetic and intensively researched, The Fall Line will take you on deep dives into unsolved cases that you've never heard of and make you wonder why you haven't. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts. And welcome back. Uh, So the aspect of every guy coming through this revolving door and and producing, uh, it's been fascinating. Um, whether it can stand up to the rigors of a, of a major league schedule until the roster is whole again, it's unknown. That's why, you know, the Mets kind of have to take this with a wait, not a wait and see approach, but a uh, roll with the punches approach. There we go. We've talked about the effect that Louis Rojas has had on the process. Uh, even killed, level headed, you know, that type of stuff rubs off. We were just talking about it with Marcus Stroman. Um, if the guy at the front of the room is confident, you're going to be confident. It's just, that's how leadership works. Um, we've also talked about the benefits of having those tried and true veteran presidents, uh, presences. We were just talking about Stroman, Lindor, you know, as things have taken a turn towards <laughs> a turn towards the emergency room over the last month or so, um, we see more and more veteran guys popping in, putting their heads down and just kind of getting, getting, getting to work. Uh, Brandon Drury, even Cameron Mabin, who's I think 0 for 25 <laughs> after, uh, after Thursday, but you know, he hasn't he hasn't appeared to let himself get down. He's still out there. I mean, he caught a couple of really tough breaks. Um, you know, the more that the young guys see that type of behavior and, hey, these guys are fighting for their careers. We're, we're fighting for a roster spot before we get sent back down. You know, they're going to take note and they're going to follow suit. That's, again, that's how leadership works. The combination of grit, desperation, and, and young guys trying to make their mark <laughs> – um, it, you know, magic is is happening, but you know we have to ask ourselves this question realistically: At what point 
where the wheels just kind of fall off this thing. I talked about what might need to be done to keep this momentum up um, a little bit on Wednesday at the Apple. You know, the question is, you know, can this group withstand the huge disadvantage of playing with this short deck until everyone's back? That's a good question. And right now the answer is maybe. As we said, Rojas has done a really, really great job of keeping everyone focused. Um, It's been just a shitstorm. One freaking thunder bomb after another. Uh, And, and, you know, this team is just, they're enduring. They're getting through it. They're making it work. We've also talked about the benefits of not getting too far ahead, not getting overwhelmed by a mountain of tasks ahead of you with, again, a very, very short roster. You know, the headspace that this team kind of needs to be in right now is get that win today, go back out there tomorrow and do your best to do it again. Like, that's, I know that's, that's how I wake up every day. And, and, you know, um, I guess that underdog mentality, which is kind of what's taken hold here. Um, yeah, it's, it's endearing to the everyman, at least you hope so. But the question is, again, will it be enough? I know we just talked about not looking too far ahead, but you know, you look into June and, and you know, that schedule is just, it's daunting. I think the Mets play the Padres seven out of their first nine games in, in June. Then you head to, I think you're back home. You face the Chicago Cubs who are, I think they're, if not a half game out of first tied for first in the central. Um, you know, this, this group may need a few more, uh, a few more pieces or at least like uh, higher end pieces before they jump into that water, man. Like this is going to be a tough stretch of games and yeah, you know, I think you know, right now that, of course, they're doing terrific, but um, pitching will only get the Mets so far, as we've seen. You know, I think they won. Uh, maybe they're scoring three runs a game. I don't have an average in front of me. Uh, maybe I'm coming unprepared today. I don't know. I hope I just <laughs> roll through it. But, um, you know, maybe it's time for Zach Scott to begin kind of looking for, a, a, you know, an upscale addition to, to kind of, I guess, keep this team – afloat, keep them going. I know everyone's been using that phrase lately. I <laughs> I put it in the title like last week and just keep on saying it. It's like, oh, now I can't go back to it again. But anyway, um, you know, Tim Britton over at The Athletic, friend of the pod, of course, he rattled off a couple of um, intriguing names. Uh, Eduardo Escobar, who plays all over the infield, big power threat. Um, there's going to be other guys out there. There's going to be a lot of options as teams kind of fall further and further away from uh, contention. Um you know, whichever way that this organization decides to go, um, it's just it's going to have to be a fluid situation. You know, we're watching it with Cameron Mabin. There's a reason that some of these guys were available. That <laughs> the Mets took him from the Cubs for a dollar. Uh, you know, that's not a knock on Mabin. He's just getting his feet wet. Um, if he picks it up, he could really be a good bench piece down the road. It's just that if the Mets are going to be without Conforto and out without McNeil and waiting on Nimmo and Davis to kind of come back and reassimilate. You know, there's going to be gaps to fill. Um, contingency moves. Are they going to keep on to, you know, they're, they're going to have to be made. Um, the revolving door that we were just talking about, you know, it's going to keep on turning. But if there's a big move to be made, you kind of have to go out there and do it. Um, I don't know what that is or what it would take to, say, land a quote-unquote big fish. But um, is now not the time to kind of take that chance? The pitching staff's been outstanding. Um, you know, you kind of have to support that consistency and make a push. 
you know, we've kind of seen this movie before. Uh, in the past, you lose a sizable portion of your quarter injuries. That meant your season was pretty much over. Uh, you know, now that situation has changed a little bit. You know, under Steve Cohen, this team has the resources to kind of make a move if they want to. Jesus Christ, what am I at LaGuardia? There's a plane like right over my house. My goodness. So, you know, why not go out and um, and really make a push? You know, this team has the, 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 the flexibility, I guess you could say, to add contracts. They've got a, a stable of, of high-end, albeit low-level prospects to, to dip into if the situation calls for it. Go ahead, poke around. You know, Zach Scott mentioned this week, um, he'd been working the phones nonstop. You'd have to think that Billy McKinney <laughs> wasn't the only fire the Mets had their iron in. And it's not like they need to go out and trade for, like, a Chris Bryant. That would be nice, but I doubt the Cubs and we're going to move him now. Or, or someone, like, ridiculously high-end. Of course, it would be great and it would be huge. But, um, one, what would it cost? And, two, um, you know, a Gregory Polanco, who we talked – I think I mentioned him on Twitter. Or, like, I don't know if he's available now, but a, a Starling Marte. Oh, did he actually – did he re-up in Miami? Uh, I have no idea. Anyway. You know, someone who fits that kind of second-tier level, not from the bottom of the tank. And again, I, I hate to refer to guys like Cameron Maven as as that, but it's kind of what the situation is. Um, you know, if you can go out and find a sec a true second-tier player, you got to kind of go out and, and ruffle some feathers and see, and see what's out there, man. Like, I don't know. I, I really, I have no idea who you could even list off, rattle off here that would make sense in that in that situation, but, um, you know, it, it all depends on if the Mets think that they can stay above water until everyone comes back, and, you know, who knows when that's going to be. This regime really hasn't been all too forthcoming with injury statuses, as we've seen, and, you know, and that's that's fine to an extent, too. Speaking of which, excuse me while I take a sip of water. Uh, Joe Girardi on Thursday flat out told the Phillies media corps that he'd no longer be sharing information with them pertaining to uh, managerial decisions, personnel decisions, anything. He, you know, he said he's doing things a little different. I think that's, that, that was part of his quote. So who's available, who's not, who's hurt, why he made a decision in game, why they made a roster decision. None of it. He says he's, I guess he's going to change things up, which is, um, it's wild. Like I get the secrecy and I get the, competitive advantage part of it. I really do. But Girardi just comes off like such a dick doing it. And that's, you know, I've never really been a fan of Girardi. But at least like when Louis Rojas does it, and he's flat out open about it, he's like, yeah, I didn't, I wasn't truthful with you guys because we saw it as a uh, a competitive disadvantage. And I understand that. And, you know, at least Rojas does it with a little charm. And it was like, oh, well, okay. You know, and I'm sure the beat writers had take exception with that, but it is what it is. You don't want to let out too much. Look at the NHL. You don't have injury reports. You you have a, the guy has an upper body injury or a lower body injury, or uh, that's even if you get that far, especially in the days of COVID, they were even being more um, just obtuse about it, or that's probably not the right word. But anyway, you know, bottom line is the chances are the bottom will fall out of this thing sooner or later. Expecting another, I think the Mets are 15 and 9. Yeah, oh, I put it up on Twitter. I checked. So I'm, I'm sure of it. The Mets are 15 and 9 in May. 
they're running on AAA level fumes. Um, expecting them to, to continue this would, would, you know, that would be a little insane. You, you don't, um, you can't bank on that happening. Um, is it possible? Of course, we just saw it happen. Um, is it unlikely? Yeah, you, you bet your ass. Like, you know, they, to expect, you know, maybe the pitching. Of course, this this, this pitching staff's been terrific. Um, but, you know, you can't expect Francisco Lindor in, in the current state he's in. By the way, you guys got to check out Disha Thosar, another friend of the pod. Um, she's a, a new columnist over at the Daily News, I guess. I don't know if this is going to be in addition to her to her beat responsibilities, but she's doing a weekly column too. And if you guys have checked out Disha's work, my goodness, again with the planes right over my window. I feel like I'm at Shea. Keith Hernandez, I, I, I'm, I'm with you right now, my man. All right, I'm getting back in the box. Um, so, yeah, you know, Disha has uh, taken on column writing responsibilities, and her first one was, I guess, a bit um, kind of a jab at Francisco Lindor. He started off very, very slow. I don't want to ruin the premise, but um, she doesn't hold back any punches, and then She's not wrong. <laughs> She's really not. I mean, you can have confidence that he's going to find his way, but you can also be a little frustrated, at least as, from a fan's point of view, that uh, you're not getting production when you kind of need it the most. But highly recommend that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you have an offense running on him and Dom Smith, who kind of hasn't been the same guy he was last year, but uh, who has flash. He's had flashes dealing with a silly right knee injury. It seems like he hurt his knee doing that slide on Tuesday or sliding into home. And uh, I think <laughs> Gary Cohen called it a useless slide, which I think that's the most uh, animated I've heard him talk about a, a slide in recent in recent times. But, you know, um, you, you can't expect these guys to be like, okay, well, now you're the centerpiece of the team. And boom, you have to produce. Um, not all of them. In Lindor's case, you'd kind of hope for it. <laughs> He's, you know, he came, he was given a very big contract to be that guy. Um, right now, you know, everyone kind of needs him to be that guy. Uh, again, he, his track record speaks for itself. There's no lack of confidence, on, on at least on my end, that he'll come around. But, uh, yeah, sooner rather than later because, uh, you know, you have to – reinforce this bottom line make a push for greatness even when guys start coming back if you have a you know if you go out and make a a, a big move and now you have that guy on your bench too and you can keep on shuffling the deck and keep on you know cranking out good really quality players that's going to be a boon especially in this season where you have um you know guys dropping like flies around the league uh, you know some places more than others look at new york just for instance but um, you know, there's no telling if this is going to be a continuing trend as the season goes on. You know, having the extra capable depth and not just hoping to find a, a guy in the, in the minors who's not quite ready, but maybe jumps in and gets his feet wet and he, he does okay or whatever. You know, hoping and praying is uh, is a lot riskier than just going out and being aggressive and making that move. So go ahead, make the move. You got the Braves coming in this weekend. Uh, they have their own injury issues, and, but still, this is a very big series. 
two and a half games, which the Mets have in hand right now, or, or as a lead right now in the division, that can evaporate really quickly. So either you're adapting or you're dying, and that that's nature. So, uh, you know, if I'm Zach Scott and Sandy Alderson, I am exploring all of my options, and I'm certainly not gun-shy to go out there and uh, and make, him make a big move, even, you know, overpay if you got it. You, you, you do what you have to do right now. Uh, there's too much talent here, and things have gotten off, all things considered. And, of course, it could be a lot better. But, guys, 24-20 and 20 with a fucking AAA roster and two and a half games up in the division, pushing June, ain't half bad. Uh, we'll be back on Monday, hopefully with a little more magic to speak of. Until then, let's fucking go Mets. Have a great weekend, family. Peace. <laughs>